Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Thursday, the 3rd of February, 2022. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Welcome. Thanks for including me in your day. What are we doing today? What is, uh, what's on the list? What are you and I going to do together here um, in the next few minutes, hour, couple of hours? What's on your schedule? Uh, I look forward to being alongside you in the midst of all of it, no matter what's going on, especially for those of you snowed in or iced in today. Blessings on you. Uh, let's see. Apparently, there are um, a lot of people who have phones that are not 4G or 5G compatible. Uh, let me just tell you that I think you're very, very quickly approaching the time when your 3G phone is literally not going to work. 3 3G networks are shutting down. Um, and so there is a scramble to get people upgraded to 5G or 4G and 5G phones. Um, yeah, I I might be one of those people. So <clears throat> I might be needing to make a visit to um, a store soon. The winter storm across the country has 100 million people across the U.S. in something like 25 states from the Mexican border to New England. Um, struggling today. And so I know, I know many of you live in places where, well, this would not be a big storyline, but it's a big storyline across much of the country. So let's be sending up prayers of safety and just encouraging folks to stay at home. We have talked about what's going on at the Russian and Belarusian border with Ukraine. We are now, as the United States, sending troops to Poland, Germany, and Romania to bolster NATO uh, countries in Eastern Europe as uh, Russian troops amass along Ukraine's border in a way that sure does, from satellite pictures, look like uh, the staging or the pre-staging for an invasion. And so we're going to prayerfully keep our eyes on what's going on. There We had talked about, uh, actually months ago, we talked about the opening of the Olympics or sometime during the Olympics being the time that Vladimir Putin would take advantage of the world's attention being focused somewhere else and use that as, you know, what he might view as an opportune time to invade Ukraine. Uh, and just as a reminder, that's tomorrow. Um, all right. The U.S. debt has now crossed $30 trillion, with a T, dollars. And uh, the Wall Street Journal reminds us it's it's actually not really $30 trillion because $6 trillion of that is debt that the government owes because it has promised it in the form of Social Security and other um, social programs to the American people. And so just so you know, the first part of the default 
on the $30 trillion will be the $6 trillion that is promised in Social Security and other benefits to Americans. Um, because future politicians can simply refuse to make good on that debt first because the default is going to have to it's going to have to come somewhere 30 trillion dollars in debt is not sustainable we can't even pay um, what we owe in interest on the debt without frankly accruing more debt 24 trillion so if you take the 6 trillion out that we technically owe to ourselves if you take that out you're down to 24 trillion uh, and that is more than a hundred percent of our gross domestic product And so the only other times in U.S. history where we have indebted ourselves beyond 100 percent of GDP was during active war. Much of our debt is held by the Chinese or the Japanese, and they intend to be repaid. But they are also going to keep on lending to us so that we deepen our debt uh, to them, deepen ourselves in debt to them. And obviously the real issue is at what point... Can we not even service the debt we owe? Can we not even pay the interest on all that debt? And we obviously, as a country, would then fall into fiscal default. That would be really, really bad. But the burden of interest cost right now on the debt is uh, is slated to rise because interest rates are slated to rise. And so if you think about every percentage point of increase in rates, which are basically zero right now, but with every increase... In a percentage point that we owe in interest on our debt, it adds about $100 billion a year to our debt cost. And so that ever-rising debt is going to have to be financed one way or another, and it's going to be financed either by higher taxes or, yes, more debt. And eventually, it has to be paid. All right. Ben Johnson is with us. Uh, He and I are going to talk about uh, what is going on in terms of religious liberty and rights, your rights and my rights right here in the United States of America. We're going to talk about the intersection of poverty and the gospel and our social responsibility. All that next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right. Ben Johnson is back. Among other things, he's a a media reporter at the Daily Wire. He also tweets at the Rights Writer, and he's a pastor. Hey, Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good to hear from you. So two texts this morning already on the text line. One, gee, what a cheery start to our Thursday. And then then a note from some friends in, is it Audubon? Yeah, that's Audubon, Minnesota, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where it's 27 below. Um, the high today is going to be a negative three, and there's a wind chill warning. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's a wind chill warning. Oh, honey, there's a warning to just not go outside at all. Yeah, that's that, what that's, I have. That's that's prudent. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, so greetings and good morning, favored one. What uh, what is happening? We haven't talked about Hong Kong in a while. What is uh, happening there on the liberty front? Well, of course, uh, when we talk about Hong Kong, we always have to go back to the fact that 
When it was turned over to China uh, through an agreement that uh, was struck by Margaret Thatcher back in the 80s, they agreed to turn it over in 1997. But the agreement was that Hong Kong would have its own system. It would maintain its liberties uh, because it had been a British colony and it was used to the British way of life. And the Brits, uh, for all of their faults, uh, you know, the fact that part of China was British, uh, they they would respect certain people's fundamental liberties, uh, particularly when it came to the right to freedom of expression, political participation, things of that sort. Uh, and China respected that and said that they would maintain it. So it was one China, two systems. Over the last several years, and especially since uh, since 2020, they've passed a national security law, which is absolutely draconian, uh, that essentially treats Hong Kong as though uh, it is no different than mainland China. It, it allows for Chinese police to go in and arrest anyone who essentially says anything that questions the Chinese Communist Party. And if they uh, step out of line, they can be deported to the mainland and tried in mainland Chinese courts under a totally different system of law, which, uh, as we know, is definitely not the British common law. Uh, so they have been cracking down on uh, particularly the main dissident was a man named Jimmy Lai, who publishes uh, a newspaper or did called Apple Daily was the uh, the number one publication in the area because it took on China. And now uh, he has been silenced. He's in prison. The publication has been shut down. Numerous other papers have closed their doors or they have stopped. Uh, they've stopped criticizing China. The Catholic and Anglican leaders in the area have stood up finally and said to the leader of Hong Kong, a, a lady named Carrie Lam, that she should give amnesty to the 160-plus people who have been arrested under the national security law. She has the ability technically to do this, uh, and so far she has acted as an absolute puppet of Beijing. She has done all of their bidding. Uh, she's titularly a Catholic. In fact, I noticed in the Reuters story that uh, this was mentioned in, she's described as a devout Catholic, probably like Joe Biden or, or Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but this, this is something where the, the leaders of the church have spoken up and said, Mankind has been endowed with fundamental human rights, and they are being violated in this case, and you need to respect them if you're going to live out your faith. Now, I should say, uh, there was uh, an overly solicitous uh, bishop uh, in the Catholic Church when the Catholics were trying to come up with uh, an agreement with China. And they said, out of all the countries in the world, China is best implementing Catholic social teaching. And uh, this was several years ago. I wrote an article about it at therightswriter.com called Five Reasons China is Not Best Implementing Catholic Social Teaching. Mm. And the last one quotes uh, an official document of the Catholic Church, which says that uh, a national and global source of concern is found in countries uh, which are ruled by totalitarian or dictatorial regimes. The U.S. Catholic bishops have said, we believe people have a right and a duty to participate in society. And all of that is being denied. So if Carrie Lamb is going to live out her conscience as a Christian, as someone who's a member of the Roman Catholic Church, then she needs to stand up for these fundamental rights. We will see if she has the courage of her professed convictions. We're talking with Ben Johnson. He is a media reporter for Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. He also tweets at the rights writer. We're going um, to ask next um, what the Holocaust is really all about and what is race? Good questions that we each and all need to consider and be able to answer, um, especially amidst the conversations of the day where some deny that the Holocaust was about race at all. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Well, good morning, good morning again. If you are just tuning in, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, talking with Ben Johnson, media reporter from The Daily Wire. Many of us have heard about uh, the words spoken by Whoopi Goldberg denying on air that the Holocaust had anything to do with race. Um, she is um, she's on a little break from the show, The View, where she is a regular host. Um, as I think she's given opportunity to think about and maybe become more well-educated about the Holocaust. So, Ben, let's talk about this, because I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. What is race? Who or what are the Jews? What was the Holocaust all about? Good just opportunity to remind uh, one another and maybe learn something uh, in the midst of this cultural conversation. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this this statement from Whoopi Goldberg was just confounding, where she says that uh, the Holocaust had nothing to do with race. That's certainly not the way that Adolf Hitler saw it. Uh, Race motivated everything about him. Anyone who read any of his twisted writings uh, in Mein Kampf or anywhere else knows that uh, he he considered the entire world uh, essentially an expression of your genes. And so for every every human being, you were nothing more than the biological material uh, that happens to be lurking in your DNA. There's there's no higher component. Uh, there's no way that your behavior can transcend that. Nothing you do can show that you're really uh, a good neighbor, no matter how good a person you are or how much you help other people. If you're a, a racial alien, to use the kind of terminology that the Nazis used, then you are not a good German. One of the official points of the Nazi party was, and forgive me for quoting it, but it's a quote, only someone of German blood, regardless of faith, can be a citizen. Therefore, no Jew can be a citizen. So that's the criteria they were using. Someone who is of Jewish ancestry is, by definition, not part of Germany. And those were the people they looked to exterminate. So the Holocaust was very much a racial matter in the minds of the Nazis. Uh, the idea was that uh, German DNA was the perfect DNA. Jewish DNA was evil. And uh, it was a war of one species in his mind, as sort of a Darwinian point of view, uh, different different groups of human beings warring to exterminate one another. So it was very much racially based in the mind uh, of uh, the architect of the Holocaust and the architect of Nazism himself. I think that um, one of the one of the confusions that we all live with is the definition of race, um, especially in our current cultural moment where there are people who would argue that race is a social construct. When Hitler was talking about race and when he was talking about the Aryan race, he's talking very specifically, as you have just pointed out, um, about you know what you could actually discover under a microscope or doing a genetic profile uh, using a drop of blood. And I think that that's lost on a lot of people today in the conversation um, about race and therefore the conversation about the Holocaust. I'm not sure that everybody even understands that to be Jewish means you actually have in your maternal bloodline a Jew. Like it's Judaism is a race of people um, because of a bloodline. And I, I just not even sure that people understand that today. Well, that's true. Matter of fact, uh, the, the Jewish priestly class, the Kohanim, uh, there's a very specific chromosome that has been found, you know, a very specific DNA marker that can mark people who are part of the Jewish priesthood. So uh, there, there are ways that you can determine uh, that kind of a background. Uh, but, of course, where, where you really get into complications 
uh, is that uh, the Jewish community itself has arguments over who is Jewish and who is not. Uh, obviously, not everyone who is Jewish practices Judaism. In, in the United States, it's very much a minority who would be considered observant uh, Jews in terms of the 613 laws of, uh, of the Torah. But uh, there, there are people who are Jewish ethnically, uh, people who are Jewish culturally, and people who are Jewish religiously. And what, by the way, one of the things that may have been lost, and frankly, I, I have not heard this uh, discussed much elsewhere, is the fact that Whoopi Goldberg is Jewish. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg uh, was born Karen Johnson and for some reason changed that beautiful surname uh, because she wanted to reflect her family's Jewish identity. Uh, so she says that, uh, you know, she, she does not uh, regularly attend a synagogue, but she says she observes Jewish holidays and, and she says she is religiously Jewish. And so that may have been part of the driving factor in wanting to associate herself and her own family's uh, Jewish history with, um, with the broader Jewish people. Uh, and that that may have been lost in this as well. So there there are a lot. It's a very complicated discussion. Uh, the Jewish people haven't haven't solved it despite uh, you know hundreds of years of, of uh, discussing it uh, in their own terms. It's an ongoing conversation, uh, and so we can respect their conversation uh, uh, from the outside. But but in terms of the Holocaust, Hitler had a very well developed idea. Everything in his insane ideology was about biology. It was the most advanced form of social Darwinism known to man. Uh, and he sort of took the idea of the war of the species and the origin of the species to its ultimate idea that if, uh, if there is no God and everything simply evolved naturally, then not only are certain species of animals superior, but certain species uh, of human beings are superior. And each one is in a war against every other one. And he just happened to uh, choose his own as the best. And in this case, he targeted the Jews for extinction. Millions suffered and, and died as a result of that. And uh, it, it obviously does a disservice to them uh, to say that they did not suffer for the very simple and clearly stated reason that they did suffer. So if you want to educate yourself on um, the Holocaust and you really want to know more about it, let me just direct you to resources available um, from Holocaust museums across the world. The United States Holocaust Memorial Museum actually has an FAQ page that includes these two paragraphs. The Holocaust was the systemic state-sponsored persecution and murder of six million Jews by the Nazi regime and its collaborators between 1933 and 1945 across Europe and North Africa. The height of the persecution and murder occurred during World War II. By the end of the war in 1945, the Germans and their collaborators had killed nearly two out of every three European Jews. The Nazis believed that Germans were racially superior. They believed Jews were a threat to the so-called German racial community. While Jews were the primary victims, the Nazis also targeted other groups for persecution and murder. They claimed that the Roma, people with disabilities, some Slavic peoples, especially Poles and Russians, and black people in general were biologically inferior. Uh, it certainly was about race. All right, uh, Ben, we got to leave it right there. Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. I know as a media um, writer, you have a lot to write about uh, today and think about uh, with all of the changes afoot at, let's say, CNN. It's a glorious day. Hopefully it's the network interesting, will change. Interesting times in which we live. All right, that's Ben Johnson. You can find him at dailywire.com. We'll be right back.
All right, it is the 3rd of February, so we are in the third chapter of the book of Acts. I hope you are reading the book of Acts with us as we're reading through the Bible together here at Faith Radio. If you haven't signed up yet, you can certainly still do so, myfaithradio.com, reading through the Bible, Acts chapter 3 today. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he began to address the people. And so then it goes on and Peter preaches what we have as the second sermon here in the book of Acts, uh, the first sermon in Acts chapter 2, this second sermon in Acts chapter 3. And in it, you know, Peter is inviting them to come to Jesus Uh, that Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the prophecies that they know from the Old Testament. And he says, repent, turn back. Your sins are blotted out. Times of refreshing uh, can come upon you in the presence of the Lord. And so there is an opportunity to turn to the one in whose name we are saved, by whose grace we are saved, by whose wounds we are healed. And his name is Jesus. Maybe you've never considered that. Maybe you feel like a lame beggar dragging yourself or being hauled every day just to the edge of hope. That's where this man sat every single day. Outside the door called the beautiful gate of the temple, outside of the fellowship of God's people, outside of what he understood to be God's blessing. And what he really needed wasn't money. And what he really needed, frankly, wasn't even physical healing. What he really needed was the forgiveness of his sins, was to come by faith to Christ. But God gave it all to him, physical healing in the name of Jesus. Now, why, why would God do that? Well, if we think back to the, the healing of the paralytic that his friends you know, brought him to Jesus and lowered him down through the roof. You'll remember that story. And Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, but so that you will understand that I have the power to forgive sins, um, you know, stand up and walk. So the physical healings that happen are absolutely a grace and a blessing to those who receive them, but they're a testimony and a witness to everyone else. So read Acts chapter 3 today. Consider the ways in which the Holy Spirit worked through his people in the first days of the church and how the Holy Spirit wants to work through you today to advance the gospel. We'll be right back. 
Walking and weeping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Kathy Branzell is back from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, good morning. Good morning, friends. How are you? Okay. I, I I am well. I feel like there's a countdown underway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the clock ticking. <laughs> Thursday, May the 5th is what I have on my calendar as the National Day of Prayer. Hopefully I'm right about that. Um, yes. Remind us about... Yeah, remind us about this year's theme. Remind us where to go to get more information and connect with uh, efforts in our own community and the national team as well. Thank you. Yes. So this year's theme is Exalt the Lord who has established us. Mm. And we just want to spend this entire year reminding people to exalt the Lord, to praise Him and the power of praising Him because praise reminds us of who He is his unchanging attributes, the God that we don't have to wake up every morning and go, wow, I wonder what kind of mood he's in today. I wonder who he is today. Does he still love me today? And so we use our mouth for a lot of things. We've used it, unfortunately, for a lot of grumbling and complaining and judgment and other things. And so we want to bring people back to the biblical um you know, mandate to exalt the Lord and to remember all he's done in us, all he's established um, in us, through us, for us, for us to do as his workmanship prepared, knit together in his image, his beautiful masterpiece. God made no mistakes at all. You are not a mistake. I am not a mistake. There might be days we feel like it, but that is a lie. And we are his workmanship made for his good works. He's already prepared. And so he's established it. And we just have the faith to walk in it. And that is our theme for the first Thursday of May, as is the law every year for the president to call a day of prayer for the nation. And you can find out more. You can connect with your state coordinators. You can start seeing in a couple of months uh, where events are going to take place in your area. Or if you're going to... Um, host an event, please put it on our event finder. And you can find all of this at nationaldayofprayer.org. Yeah, I love that um, if you go there right now, nationaldayofprayer.org, like one of the things that you can find out is, well, who is my state or ter- ter- territory coordinator? Um, and you can start praying for them today. Like, great, there yes. are there are 60 state and ter- territory coordinators. There's eight national area leaders. There are tens of thousands of coordinators across the country. Yes. Um, and God. so let's be praying. Um, I mean, obviously we're praying for you, Kathy, but let's be praying for all of the other people in this extraordinary effort that we, you know, we we expect the National Day of Prayer to take place every year. We expect these events to happen. I'm not okay. sure that all of us really think about the 364 other days that are required to make the one day, um, you know, all that it can be to bring the nation um, and the nation's concerns before the Lord in a significant way. So it's a 90-day countdown clock right now at nationaldayofprayer.org. I'm going to encourage you to um, to go ahead and engage and maybe plan an event right there in your own community. You could do so um, and, and connect with the National Day of Prayer Task Force at nationaldayofprayer.org. 
Kathy, when um, when I read this uh, this headline and actually heard this this interview of this author, I immediately thought of you because I thought to myself, Kathy Branzell is going to be very interested to know that science has now arrived at what we have known all along, which is that okay. abandonment and grief and loneliness actually cause physical problems. So right. um, I'm I'm reading in the Atlantic. This is your brain on heartbreak, Florence Williams is not only the author of this article, but a book on the same tough topic. And it's it's about the physiological changes that take place in our bodies when we lose a love. Mm, yes. And um, again, you, you and I have said many times, I love when you lay science on top of scripture and hear God whisper, I told you so. I told you so. And, and um, this article, um, along with many other Uh, white papers and scientific articles that you can read about just shows the power of relationship. And um, God made us for relationship first with him and then with one another. And, uh, you know, I've said time and time again, I think some of the most powerful words in scripture, the most powerful words God's spoken is, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And, um, and this article that you're referring to that we, we should talk about just talks about how, um, you know, heartbreak is a real thing. And it mm-hmm. has not just emotional and mental um, side effects, uh, but, but also, phys- you know, in the physical body. What it does to us when you are connected with somebody, uh, especially a, a spouse, um, you lose a spouse because the two become one. And um, and really half of you is gone when that breaking happens. Yeah, I grieve for the author of this because she does miss um, she does miss that. She misses the reality that the reason her heart is broken and the reason now her life is broken and in many ways her physical body is broken and her mind is broken is that her marriage, when it ended, um, that two, which God had made one, was then divided in a way that affected every part of her. But she misses that, and she looks for answers in art, and she looks for answers in nature, and then ultimately she looks for answers in science. She never looks for answers in God. I find yes. that so incredibly sad. Absolutely. And and we all need to remember that no person— can ever fill the God space, the God need, the God hole that people talk about in our lives and our hearts. And so first and foremost, before any other relationship, I believe that that's where so many relationships fail is that we try to make our spouse our savior and no human being was ever meant to be your savior. Um, partner, Uh, helper, all those words that are used in scripture, but God and God alone um, is your first and foremost relationship. And so that's the relationship that we need to build and have a firm foundation on and build every other relationship in and through. And so it it is heart, it's heartbreaking, pun intended, um, that that's not her first go-to um, in this in this pain, because God calls us to cast our cares on Him. God calls us to seek ye first the kingdom of God, 
to to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden. God calls the hurting. Um, God calls the broken because he is the great healer. And um, so that's the first and foremost relationship that we need to pay great attention, daily attention to and um, and build our other relationships out of. So Florence Williams is an author. They, they describe her as a science author. Her latest book is Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. She's also the author of a book called The Nature Fix. And when her husband of some 25 years, um, with whom she'd been in a relationship for her entire adult life, um, left her, uh, you know, her heart was literally broken. She became physically sick. And then she actually sought to heal herself through the nature fix, which she had already written about. Um, and, you know, come to find out that didn't work. She just got yeah. sicker. Uh, and right. so we're going to continue this conversation because what what this piece in the Atlantic, what the conversation on NPR and what the book that Florence Williams wrote uh, entitled Heartbreak, um, what it misses is the reality of God uh, and the reality right. of how God made us to be in relationship and why we get sick when our relationships fail. We're talking with Kathy Branzell, and we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What science calls paired affection and Christians call monogamy uh, is under discussion in terms of, is it actually, is there some biology to the whole thing? Um, is it something you can study based on the what physically happens to people when they lose a spouse, when they lose a, a, a long-term life partner? It's the it's the subject matter of conversations taking place in the culture around a book and article and conversations with a woman named Florence Williams. Uh, and so I thought talking about it today with Kathy Brinzel would be helpful because Kathy has thought a lot about the brain and why it works the way it works, in addition to heading up the uh, National Task Force for the National Day of Prayer. So, Kathy, what stood out to you in uh, in this conversation um, with Florence Williams and or the article that she wrote for The Atlantic on the topic of the connection between, you know, the biology of our brain and heartbreak? Well, so several things. Um, one, I was grateful for all of the physiological things that she talked about because I think that we dismiss love as some sort of just an emotion um, and not a connection. And, and so we'll tend to talk about the mental, the feelings and the thoughts. But remember, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And so there's just this reality of the whole person and um, how love matters. And, um, you know, I don't I don't want to get deep in into uh, any any conversation about uh, what some describe as hookups. Um, but it, it just shows the, the strength of a physiological connection of the body, um, and, and long-term what that means, what that means to your whole self 
and the the pain of of loss that's a real thing and so it also goes into all the pain that we um, many of us are experiencing just in isolation and the changes that have uh, happened through covid um, various relationship breakups that how it does affect you you can't believe for a moment that you can have real affection real connection with somebody for a moment and then just walk away and it doesn't affect you at all. And so I was grateful um, for this opportunity just to talk about how that's not, God didn't create us to just uh, have people go in and out of our lives and it not affect us. We have influence. Um, you and I have talked about this before. You can change the chemistry of another human being just by smiling at them. We can also change the chemistry of an entire room of people coming in and complaining and criticizing. Uh, we, we actually change that chemistry of, of cortisol and epinephrine and uh, fear, and we, we can bring that into a room, or we can bring in um, uh, all what they call the feel-good you know, uh, hormones and, and, you know, we can, we change the, the, the chemistry milkshake of other human beings just by being in their lives, just by aligning our brains and our heartbeats in the way that we do things, think things. I liked that part of the article too. If you want to talk about that, how, how are our minds aligned after we spend time with people? Yeah, this is um, an interesting portion of the conversation um, when we we talk about how we become more like those with whom we spend time um, and that aligning of thought, I thought, you know, along with you, I thought that was absolutely um, fascinating when you talk about neuroscience and actually being able to um, map what we're thinking about when we're thinking about it. I mean, all of that is absolutely fascinating. The other part of it that I thought um, Kathy stood out to me was this conversation about love being a quote-unquote addiction um, mm -hmm. based, on, based on the fact that there, you know, is this release of these very positive, feel-good chemicals in my brain um, when I am in love or experiencing romance or certainly... Um, you know, in, in terms of sex with your, with your spouse. Right. So, um, the addiction conversation I thought was really interesting. And again, it was the place in the article or one place in the article where I felt like, well, God's just utterly missing here. It's not that love is an right. addiction so much as God gave us this great gift of a dopamine rush when we're being who we're called to be in the way he's called us to be it. Right. Absolutely. And, and I would say it, he, he knit us together. It's, it's almost a requirement of life. Um, because it true love, uh, you know, we, we love all kinds of things. I love coffee. I love ice cream. I love, you know, that movie, whatever, but true love, um, especially agape love that, that God loves you unconditionally you know, take it all back to you're never going to know true love until you know the love of God. Amen. And and everything else is a counterfeit or a lesser than. Uh, you can 
you know, have brotherly love, that's wonderful. Uh, you can have all, all kinds of things, but until you have true love in God, you're going to miss everything else. And, you know, that was what was missing in this conversation. And, um, and that goes back to my mind needs to be aligned with God. My heart needs to be aligned with God. My heart needs to be like his heart. And from that, all true love um, will overflow from that and through that. And it, it's just missing. Everything else is a counterfeit, a, a cheap replacement of, of what we can all really have. It occurs to me that, uh, you know, there's people listening right now who are single, never married or never going to be married or certainly not going to be married again. Um, and I don't want us to leave people imagining that the only way um, to experience the fullness of love is in the context of marriage. I'm I'm not saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. I am saying that the only way and place to experience the fullness of love is in Christ. Yes. Um, that that's the marriage that is most important, and that that's the mental alignment that is most necessary. Uh, Christ is the best example I have of a person who never had sex and never got married in this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in his human experience, um, and yet was love itself in flesh. Right. And in relationship with him, people experienced profound love. And so I think that when we talk in our culture about love, we too often reduce it to sex, and yep. not all sex even includes love at all, and certainly not all love includes sex. Absolutely. And, you know, just even thinking about Scripture, His grace is sufficient. His love is more than sufficient. And uh, you need to realize that, you know, a lot of what she experienced, what others experience, any of us that have lost any kind of relationship, it was based on the fact of something that we did or didn't do. And there's a rejection that comes with that. Oh, you didn't meet my expectation. You didn't meet my need. I wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, uh, in, in the situation of this book, her husband left her for another woman. Oh, I found someone better. Uh, you mm. didn't meet this standard, this need, this expectation. And, and oh, golly, um, what a painful way to go through life. We've lost friends. You know, you didn't spend enough time with me. Uh, you didn't say the right thing. You didn't believe the right thing. You didn't think what I thought. Um, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't keep my kids when I needed you, you know, what, whatever it is. And to know that there's a relationship and a love that is just based, God loves you because you're his. God loves you because you're a child of God. He created you. Um, he wants to spend eternity with you. And um, nothing we can do or not do, uh, that his love won't change. He loves you as much today as he will tomorrow as he did yesterday. And uh, that's the kind of love that I pray everyone experiences first and foremost. That's mm. the true definition of love. I don't love my husband because of what he does or doesn't do for me. I love him because of who he is. He's mine. He's my husband. And that that needs to be just this um, not spiking up and down, up and down. I love you more today. Well, I'm not going to tell you I love you today. Uh, you know, that love is not a game. 
and and I can love him always through the love of God uh, because of who he is, not because of what he does, and that's true love. Amen. Maybe this year, Kathy, you and I should send everybody Valentines from Jesus that just say, be mine. I love that. Yes, How about I wrote the two? a devotion bet... about that like 20 years ago. Okay, yeah. will you send me that? Yeah. Will you send me that? I'd love to re-up that. That sounds up. awesome. Thank you. <laughs> we'll I love that. that I love that. Yeah. All right, that's Kathy Branzell, whom I deeply love and cherish as a sister in Christ. Um, pray for her as she counts down the last 90 days before the National Day of Prayer, for which she is responsible as its shepherd and all of the others involved at every level of planning. Um, Kathy, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to be right back. So let's see. It is almost... uh, 8 a.m. on the East Coast, which means that in 30 minutes, the National Prayer Breakfast is going to begin at the U.S. Capitol Visitor Center Auditorium. I want to lift that up as a prayer concern for each and every one of us today. Let us be praying for the president and vice president and others attending the National Prayer Breakfast. Um, those who are sponsoring it intend this year to this for it to be reset. from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.